This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 28, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Karl Rove and Ed Gillespie write in Foreign Policy that they believe President Obama is vulnerable and that Republicans can beat him in November by focusing on foreign policy. Never mind that the president has mostly walked the path laid out by George W. Bush. It's also not clear voters will prioritize foreign policy over the economy when they go to the polls this year. Justin Logan, director of foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute, comments. So Carl Rove and Ed Gillespie, Ed Gillespie, a former uh, chairman of the Republican Party, uh, Carl Rove, of course, the person who helped create and drive the, the much of the Bush presidency, at least electorally, make this argument about how to beat President Obama. They are arguing that whatever Republican candidate emerges should be nationalistic, should present himself in a, in a confident way. Uh, espousing American exceptionalism. Uh, They urge uh, whatever candidate emerges for the fall by Republicans to play up Obama's aloofness, uh, his inability or perhaps his uh, lack of desire to engage with uh, with foreign leaders more directly. How do you regard this this argument that they're making? Well, I don't regard it well. Um, They open the piece by saying the conventional wisdom is that this isn't going to be an election about foreign policy. And insofar as it is an election about foreign policy, uh, the conventional wisdom says that the president is pretty secure. And then they go on to explain in a number of sort of ways why they think that's wrong, but I don't think that they make a convincing argument. Well, what is the specific uh, – what, what are they trying to grab hold of here uh, with regard to the Obama presidency? Well, just because something is the conventional wisdom doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. And I think it is the case uh, despite their article and I think they even concede later in the article that it is going to be an election about jobs, the economic situation and the deficit um, to varying degrees. Um, but I think that, you know, first of all, it, it, it needs to be said, right, that, that, that Karl Rove's political instincts did some fairly significant damage to the Republican Party in the last decade. I mean, I think that the 2006 election, the 2008 election were in large part Uh, referenda on uh, President Bush's foreign policy and they did not turn out terribly well uh, for the GOP. So, I mean, you you have – I mean, it just sort of needs to be said at the outset that that, that Karl Rove's predilections about how foreign policy issues will play for a given candidate uh, bear a considerable amount of scrutiny. But what really surprised me about this piece was, you know, political consultants, the people in this business have to look at evidence, right? They have to look at poll data and they have to look in in particular at salience, right? What do voters care about? Because voters may have any range of issues on – any range of opinions on this or that issue. But are they going to vote on that issue? That's the crucial factor there. And I think that all the evidence up to this point is that voters really, really care about the economy. That's understandable, right? Uh, you know, uh, the Mexicans are not about to come over the border and conquer the United States, right? If that were true, people would care an awful lot about foreign policy because it would affect their lives on a day-to-day basis. But the thing that's most proximately affecting people's lives today is the sour state of the economy. And so I think that is, uh, until proven otherwise, we should assume that that's what this election will be about. Interestingly, the one piece of evidence – there's one piece of evidence in the entire article, sort of empirical uh, uh, evidence. And it's a November poll where 50 percent of voters say that America's standing in the world is worse uh, than it was when President Obama took office. In that poll, 50 percent of people say 
uh, that our standing in the world is worse than when President Obama took office and 20-something, I forget, 21 percent or 29 percent or something say that it's better than when President Obama took office. Interestingly, however, uh, first of all, the the poll, everybody thinks everything's gotten worse since President Obama took office in that poll. And a lot of things have gotten worse than when President Obama took office um, in the country. So there is this sort of general trend where people think everything's terrible because lots of things are terrible. But in the same article, they say that um, uh, Gillespie and Rove argue that the struggle against terrorism uh, will define the 21st century's arc. Um, and in the same poll that they use to talk about this, 39% of voters say that uh, we're safer from terrorism than when Obama took office as compared to 20% who say we're less safe from terrorism than when Obama took office. So I, I mean I'm willing to be persuaded by this argument that uh, uh, the president's very vulnerable on foreign policy, but the one piece of evidence that they proffer doesn't get you very far to believing that. They also point out that the Republican candidate shouldn't be afraid to uh, talk about areas, the large uh, swath of areas where President Obama has done very little to deviate from the track laid out by George W. Bush. Sure. I mean, I think that the one thing that they offer that's intuitively plausible to me as an avenue for attack uh, for a, a Republican candidate is this business about uh, American exceptionalism, American nationalism. Everybody likes sort of self-congratulatory themes in their personal lives and in politics and in a lot of ways. And I think there is this inchoate sense among many voters many people in the public that Obama is uh, faintly the other. Uh, he's, he's inauthentic. He doesn't understand American exceptionalism. We've heard this trope since he was inaugurated, um, et cetera. So I think there's probably something there uh, in terms of a line of attack to say, you know, he, 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 he's somehow inauthentically American. He doesn't understand American exceptionalism. He's turning the country uh, into Europe. I mean, I think those may be an appeal, but you always want to be careful that you don't take these things so far that you start alienating people in the center, right? So th there are appeals to the base and then there are appeals to the center. And if what they're arguing is that, you know, a Republican should go all in with those sorts of appeals in the general election as opposed to during the primary, it's a risky gambit. It, aside from the fact that, as you know, I've already described, I think this is going to be mostly an election about the economy, the deficit, and jobs. So they, they do have this, again, I think plausible idea that many people are predisposed to believe that uh, you know, he doesn't get American exceptionalism. He doesn't get what this country's about. But boy, you want to be awful careful about playing that in the general election. Rove and Gillespie make one argument that essentially ties foreign policy, in their view, to uh, the economy, which is that they that what whatever Republican candidate emerges should hammer President Obama not being more aggressive on trade. Sure. And I think that, again, brings it back home to the idea that this is, in fact, going to be an election about the economy, about the domestic economic situation. And so one of their sort of four points that they make that are more or less clear policy initiatives is, you know, the, the fourth point that they make is that uh, – uh, is about the economy essentially that as you say trade has not uh, been something that the administration has really broken through on. I, I'll leave it to the political consultants to debate how hot 
international trade agreements would be uh, in this election cycle. Uh, I fear that they're uh, dimmer uh, than than Rove and Gillespie would let on. But you know, it is it does bear at least sort of talking about the other three uh, subjects that they brought up beyond trade. Um, they said uh, that the president doesn't emphasize victory in Islamic terrorism, against Islamic terrorism enough. Instead, he just talks about making progress, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I I would really like to see some evidence that the public is clamoring to hear the word victory. As I said, the one poll that they cite says that 39 to 20 Americans say we're, we've made, you know, we're safer from terrorism than we were when Obama took office. So I'm willing to be persuaded as a political matter that he should say victory, victory, victory. Uh, more often, but they do nothing to prove the case. They argue that the drawdown in Afghanistan and potential cuts in military spending uh, are really alienating voters. That's just wrong. I mean, the public is very, very cool on the war in Afghanistan as it is now. Um, There are sort of some dead-enders that think that we should stay forever until something more or less resembling a modern nation-state emerges in Afghanistan. But to say nothing of uh, partisan Democrats, the, however you want to define independents, are terrifically cool about the Afghanistan war. And a significant chunk of Republicans are not wild about the Afghanistan war. They see it as nation building. They see it as social engineering, et cetera. And similarly, if you look at the budget cuts, the public, in fact, has an outsized view of the role of military spending in America's wars have played in our current fiscal dilemma. So I'm happy if people think that our fiscal problems were caused by the wars and military spending, but they weren't. So I'm I'm not out there saying, you know, disabusing people of this misperception. But people, in fact, think that military spending and the wars played an outsized role in getting us into the fiscal straits that we find ourselves in. So I'm not persuaded that going after the Afghanistan drawdown and potential cuts in military spending are going to be just all upside for a Republican presidential candidate. And the third uh, thing that they talk about uh, is the dangers of rogue states, Iran and North Korea, um, and how the Obama has mishandled those. Uh, Again, I think there may be some room for for argument there, but the problem is if you get pinned down on specifics, um, many of the GOP candidates have been uh, uh, triangulating or sort of trying not to be pinned down on these issues for good reason, right? They want to say we should be tough, we should be aggressive, we should be nationalist. We should be exceptional, of course. Um, but they don't talk a lot about what exactly it is we should do. I mean, I think Rick Santorum has talked about going to war with Iran. Uh, and obviously, Ron Paul has talked about not going to war with Iran. But the other candidates have, you know, again, been long on rhetoric and short on specifics, right? Everybody wants crippling. Uh, emasculating, eviscerating sanctions to do things uh, against these states. Uh, But they haven't really allowed themselves to be pinned down. And I think that shows that they don't buy this argument that coming out guns blazing, so to speak, uh, on foreign policy issues is a big upside uh, for Republicans, particularly in the general election. I mean, there's one thing to play to the base during the primary and say, you know, Obama's un-American, et cetera, et cetera. But when you get into the general, that's going to be a very dicey proposition with a considerable amount of downside and I think a, a dubious amount of upside. Justin Logan is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org. 